Let me get into this. For goodness sakes, submit. This is going to be a fun message. Okay, um, always a popular subject here when we put that word up there, uh, submit. But that's where Peter is taking us now. We're in, we're in the uh, book of 1 Peter. Been in chapter 1, uh, chapter 2 last week. I want to do a little review. I, I feel like this is very important to, to build on where we've been it talks about in 1 Peter 1 that we are a chosen people. It says we're the elect, chosen by God. And I think it's that same verse. Verse 1 says we are aliens in this world, strangers in this world, exiles. We've talked a lot about that over the past few weeks. We've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are born again. And we've been tested by fire. We, we talked about that extensively. Tested by fire, which has produced in us a living hope. And we have that living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That makes us completely different from the rest of the world. It talks about there in, in 1 Peter that the, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. We're called to be holy. And the Holy Spirit is, is helping us to be holy, a holy people. And we are to love one another deeply. And in this way, we lead others to glorify God. It says in verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans that that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. It's not just about seeing your good deeds. The good deeds are for a purpose so that they will come to God and so they will glorify God. And it talks here, was living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. And this seems to be becoming increasingly more obvious in our world where we live in a world that's hostile to Christianity where, where they don't just disagree with you, now they call you evil. Evil for, for believing what you believe. Evil for doing what you do. Your view is evil. You Christians are evil. Have you heard that? It just it amazes me. I mean, us? We're Christians. Christians are the good people, right? Uh, and our goal in this, as, as, as this is becoming more and more what our world is becoming, our goal is not to become mean-spirited, not to become ugly, not to become, become combative, um, which I know we do now and then. I know I'm guilty of that now and then. Um, our goal should be that they see our good deeds and glorify God. That they see our good deeds and that they would become convicted. They would become repentant. They would become holy. So they would taste and see that the Lord is good. So they can have the living hope that we have. That's what we want. Peter's main concern is that our actions would result in this pagan culture becoming a godly culture, coming to the light, to be born of God. We're children of God, and, and we are made in the image of God. And you think of who God is, and, and, and oh, it's going to happen again. <coughs> oh, it's killing me. God is a God of love, and you and I are called to love our enemies. You and I are called to pray for those who persecute us. We're called to do good to those who hate us. It's, that's weird, isn't it? It's just not natural. And I would tell you, the best good that we can do is to live our lives in such a way that would cause others to glorify God. 
That's the best we can do. So for goodness sakes, for the Lord's sake, we submit. I want you to see the text here with me. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. What's Peter telling us here? He's telling us to submit. He says, submit to every authority. Which, which authority would that be? That'd be every authority. Submit to every authority. And, and in this passage here, he gives, he gives us three different scenarios, uh, three different um, situations, uh, how to deal with the government, you know, when, you, when, when there's unjust rulers, how to deal with work when you have an unjust boss. And, and eventually we get to chapter 3, how to deal with marriage. And I don't want to say with an un, unjust spouse, but with, how about an imperfect spouse, okay? So you got, we live, we're foreigners in this world. We're strangers in this world. So we come up against these situations here. How do you deal with the government as Christians? How do you deal with work as Christians? And how should we deal with marriage when our spouses aren't perfect? Uh, I am, but she's not. I mean, so anyway, so how do you, okay, never mind. That, uh, how do you, and Peter's answer overwhelmingly is submit to them. And that's not natural. That goes right through us. That is not, it's not what our flesh wants to hear. And, and it's not going to be a popular message today. We, but we are chosen people, a holy people, a, a royal priesthood is what the Bible says. And we're living in an ungodly world with imperfect, imperfect rulers. And Peter's calling us to Submit. And our flesh hates to submit. You know, when, when you know, obviously, they're wrong, or, or you're submitting to people who are making false accusations against you, you know, submitting make, makes you appear like you're weak. We hate the thought of submitting when, when, when there's injustice going on, when people are abusive. And we're supposed to submit. And I, and I think about how, how hypocritical it is that, um, you know, if I'm in a place of authority, I, I want people to submit to me. But when I'm not in a place of authority, I grumble against the people who are in, in authority. Isn't that, that's just what's human nature. That's what we do. Um, in authority, people should submit to us. Under authority, I don't like them. So everything they do is wrong. Peter's message is that we as Christians, as God's people, we are to be faithful. We are to be patient. We are to endure for the time being. And, and as I'm reading this, you, know, you, you, you think about when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and the Jews basically rejected him because that's not the Messiah they were looking for. They wanted a Messiah that would, that would uh, conquer Rome. You know, they were under Roman, impression, Roman oppression and, and a Messiah was supposed to come and put the Romans in their place. And that's not really what Jesus came to do. Um, and, and, and we look back at that, you know, those, 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 those naive Jewish people. And here 2,000 years later, I'm thinking, we're pretty naive too. Um, we're, 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 it's, we're, it's got, we've got the same problem, that this is not why Jesus came. He did not retaliate. Uh, it was to say when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, Jesus himself submitted to the governing authorities. Ultimately, he was submitting to God himself because Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome, to be the king of Rome. He came to be the king of our hearts. And as he became, became the king of our hearts, the Roman Empire became the holy Roman Empire. 
What I'm saying is it, it didn't happen overnight. It took time, one individual at a time. As one person submitted to Jesus Christ, another person submitted to Jesus Christ, another person submitted to Jesus Christ, the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire, which led to uh, Europe hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, led to America hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, led to the world hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because he didn't do it in a day. He did it in an individual, one at a time. And this is, this is the issue. The issue today that we're dealing with is the government. Unjust rulers, crooked rulers, corrupt rulers, inept rulers. Uh, next week we're going to deal with uh, the workplace. The next week we're going to deal with marriage. So today we're just going to focus on government. Submit yourself to, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to kings, the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Um, and okay, so if we're, if we're going to talk about the government, and, and this, happened, this happened already. The, the first thing this morning, before church even started, me and that person was in a conversation about the government. We could have fun with this, right? We could talk about all that's wrong with our government, which would not really help me make my case today. Um, now that there, you think about in America, in America, the 50s, in the 50s, um, there, was a, there was an attitude about Christians should never get involved with politics. Faith and politics don't mix. Uh, so, so the church didn't get that involved with politics, and that led to the 60s which was a, just a big mistake in so many ways. The 60s led to the, the, um, what, the sexual revolution. And if you remember the 60s, if you know anything about the 60s, there were riots in the streets and, and students protesting the Vietnam War, which led to people being shot at Kent State in, on May 4th, 1970. Which, okay, so there was a, a wake, an awakening then. Maybe Christians do need to get involved with politics. And that led to the 70s where there was a big push for Christians to get involved, which led to, if you remember Jerry Falwell and the silent majority, and Christians really got involved with politics. Uh, that led to the election of Jimmy Carter, who was uh, um, in, in 1976 the first openly evangelical president, uh, followed by Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, who all claimed to be born-again evangelical Christians. Where did that get us? We're great now. No. Uh, most Christians today would tell you that our society is sliding into moral ruin faster now than ever. You got drug epidemics, you got the homelessness, you, you got sex trafficking, inflation, abortion on demand, and I could go on and go on and on and on. Politics has not saved us, which has led to, okay, so the 50s, stay out of politics. The 70s, we got involved in politics, and today people are withdrawing once again from politics. Don't want to, what's the answer? How do we fix this world? And are you ready for the answer? Well, according to the Word of God, the, we need to submit. Peter doesn't tell us to resist the government that's persecuting them. He, he tells them to submit to the government that's persecuting them. It's not natural. That's not natural. How do you submit to ungodly leaders when they're unjust, when they're incompetent? And if you think we've got it bad, I just want to make the case here. Peter had it so much worse. Peter's world was so much worse than anything you and I will ever experience in our lifetime. And, 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 and during his time, as he was writing this, it was known as the, the trio of terrible, truly terrible Caesars. Um, the, 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 this is when he's writing, when these, these terrible Caesars, the, the cuckoo train of Caesars, uh, beginning with a Caligula. Do you know anything about Caligula? I got a picture of him up here. Do you know anything about this guy? Uh, he installed his favorite horse to be a senator. 
that's a little crazy. I mean, so far, Biden or Trump, they've not done anything like that, right? Um, he ordered his soldiers to take, once he got so mad at the weather, he declared war on Neptune, the Roman god of the sea. And he ordered his soldiers to take whips into the water and beat the waves for punishment and bring home seed shells to symbolize taking plunder from, from his domain. And we're supposed to submit to that. Really? That, that's what Peter's telling us to submit to. Caligula, was, he was he's followed by Claudius. Um, and, 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 and they say he wasn't as crazy as Caligula, but he was, he was more cruel than Caligula. I, I don't have too many stories on him, but you know, he was cruel. Caligula was crazy. And then there's Nero. And I talked about Nero a couple weeks ago, uh, but, but, but I read this here. Uh, this is new information I didn't have. Um, I, I told you that Nero considered himself to be a great musician, a great violinist. Um, and this historian, Suetonius, if I'm saying his name right, he wrote that Nero played so long on his violin that women would fake going into labor. I just thought that. And you think you got it bad. I'm just saying, you think you got it bad. And we could talk about how bad we got it. It's not going to help. Peter writes, we need to submit even to those who are ungodly, even to those that are very hard to submit to. Tim Keller, he writes, the increasingly secular West is only just beginning to experience the levels of hostility that first century believers faced. In 21st century, persecuted church experiences it every day. Out, outside of America, um, you know, when, when you think about North Korea, you think about China, you think about Christians in Pakistan, you think... There are Christians who are greatly suffering. Tim Keller says it is this type of state which the Apostle Peter tells the Christians to, to submit to. You think about Christians in other parts of our world where there is no separation of church and state. There, there are no rights. No rights. We've got it pretty good. And, and I, I understand complaining. I mean, if you ever see my Facebook post, I've done, I've done my share of it. Um, I, I get it. I understand it. But we are to submit. So then the question is, why? why? I mean, I struggled with that this week. Why would Peter ask us to do this? What does this accomplish? Where does this get us? And, and some of the answers I came up with, first of all, because of Christ, for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Stop right there. That should be enough. This is, this is his will. This is what he's asked us to do. We submit because we are servants of Christ, strangers in this world, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, ambassadors of God, and this is what he's told us to do. These, these are our orders. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and this is what we are called to do. As we're in this world, we are to submit to these governing authorities. Now, now I want to ask you, why do most people um, submit to governing authorities? And, and, and I'm wondering, I'm going to catch some people on this here. Why, why do you submit? And I think the general answer, people submit out of fear. Um, they don't want to be punished. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to, you know, suffer the consequences. So a lot of people submit out of, out of fear. Now you, as a Christian, is that your answer? Is that why you submit? Do you submit out of fear? That should not be our answer. No, we don't submit out of fear. We submit, we submit out of obedience to Christ. This is what he's called us to do. This is his will. These are his marching orders, and we trust him. Don't know what he's up to. Don't know what he's doing. But we trust him. 
We, we submit because we want his will to be done. We want God to be glorified. Uh, and and let, me, let, me, let me say this here. The, the, I'm thinking, what, what, the, the, is this in my notes here? Is it, maybe it's later. I don't know. Um, maybe is it later? Okay, yeah, it's later. I'm, uh, maybe I'll get that later. Um, we submit, secondly, because of our critics. We submit because of our critics. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It's God's will by doing good you're going to muzzle the people who are talking bad about us. Not with, not with clever arguments. Not with int- intimidation. Not with force. But with good deeds. To this, this is what we were... To, are called to. Romans 12 says it like this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You get that last part? Do not be overcome by evil. This, this is my fear. This is my concern in, in our world today, that I see Christians who are being overcome by the evils that are going on in our world. Christians who are giving up. Christians who are becoming just like the rest of the world. You know, the world, the world hurts us, we hurt them. Um, we're, we're becoming just like them. That is not what we're called to. We are, we're called to overcome evil with goodness, with our holiness, with righteousness. Now, i got a couple of stories here I want to read to you. One out of Pakistan, uh, Christians in Pakistan, they make up only 2.5% of the total population. Most of Pakistan is, is Muslim, 90, 97% is Muslim. And the political climate in Pakistan is not good for Christians. You would, you would think that, right? Um, and this reverend guy, who I can't pronounce his name, a reverend in Pakistan, he said a Christian, uh, he, 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 well, he described the government, a government-endorsed social and economic suffoca- suffocation of the Christian community. What the government is doing is, what does he say, is a government-endorsed social and economic suffocation of the Christian community. That's what the government is trying to suffocate the Christians. In Pakistan, anti-blasphemy laws pose a constant threat for Christians. You can't say anything in Pakistan without offending somebody who's going to accuse you of blasphemy. On top of that, he reports that local mobs in his province have publicly urinated on the Bibles and closed four churches. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. So how do you respond? He said, even so, this reverend says, uh, they work... uh, he works for, for better relationships with his Muslim neighbors and views the persecution as an opportunity. Do you see that? I mean, it, to us, some of these things would happen. That's a fight. To them, no, this is an opportunity to display Christ's love um, to the people they're, they're, they're working with, uh, even the militant Muslims, even, even Al-Qaeda members. Um, the reverend says, uh, he summarizes his church response to the persecution, we clean the wounds of those who hate us and those who would kill us. How do you respond to that? When Christians demonstrate this kind of love for their enemies, the people who are hostile to them have nothing to say. I mean, you can't get mad at somebody who's trying to clean your wounds. You can't get mad at somebody who is showing you the love of Christ. You, you, can't, 
be hard to kill somebody who, who's giving you food and giving you drink, who's being good to you. You want to hate them, but you can't hate them because they're being good to you. This is how they respond. In Africa, Matthew Paris, um, he's a newspaper columnist, um, and, and he, he grew up in Africa, um, and he returned to the country of his childhood, Africa, uh, today known as Malawi. Uh, here's what he wrote about his experience. Um, he says, now, now, as a confirmed atheist, he's an atheist, he says, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. That's quite a statement right there. He is an atheist, and he's taken notice of the, of the Christians. And he goes on, he's, it, the sharply is distinct from the work of... Uh, of, of secular non-government organizations and government projects and international efforts, uh, aid efforts, these alone will not, uh, will not do. Education and training alone will not do in Africa. Christianity changes people's hearts. He's, the education's not doing it. Um, government organization's not doing it. Christianity, though, that's doing it. Christianity is changing people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good, he writes. Then he talks about his days growing up in Africa. He says, we, we had working for us Africans who had converted and were strong believers. And the Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or, re, or confined its con- converts, their faith appeared to have liberated them and relaxed them. There was a, a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. A directness in, in their dealings with others that seemed to be missing from traditional African life. They stood tall. And he said it really challenged his atheist beliefs. He's still an atheist. That's sad. But these Christians have gotten his attention. Where the typical columnist, the typical journal, journalist would, would, would set the narrative, write bad things about the Christians, he can't do that. He can't say anything bad about the Christians because the Christians are doing such a good job there. By doing good, we silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And a third reason I would give you why we need to submit, why we need to consider submitting. When it's hard, you know, this is of the Spirit. This is not of the flesh. The flesh would say, never submit. But the Spirit is calling us to submit. Why would we do that? We are a free people. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. You have freedom. As Americans, we have freedom. And you can use that freedom to what we talked about last week, express yourself, do your own thing. What I tried to describe is toxic individualism, the world of me-ism. It's all about me. I'm entitled to anything I want. It's all about my rights, not my responsibilities. You can, you can use your freedom that way. Or I would, I would offer something better. Use your freedom for the common good. Use your freedom for something greater than yourself. You and I, we, we don't obey as slaves. See, a slave has to, the slave doesn't have a choice. It's forced to submit. You're not being forced to submit. You're being asked to submit. And only, only those who are truly free can honestly and willingly, willingly submit We willingly submit because of our love for God. We willingly submit because, because it pleases God. And we live, our, our heart's desire is to please God. Man, this is what I want to get at here. I'm thinking, if, if you're here 
If you've, not, if you've not experienced the grace of God, what I'm, what I'm saying today is going to be really hard for you to accept. It just sounds like another church rule. Um, and and to, to ask somebody to submit who's never experienced the grace of God, that's, that's, that's a hard sell. But if you've experienced the grace of God, if you've experienced the love of God, if you've been blown away by who God is, then isn't your heart's desire to please him? All I, want, I just want to, I want to obey my master. I want to serve my master. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. So if this is what he's asked me to do, I freely, willingly submit. Because it's really not about the government. It's about my love for God. So that's why we submit. Now, now here's another question. How do, we, how do you submit? What does this look like? And there, there's a verse in seven, uh, verse 17, 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Four commands I want you to focus on here. Four commands to go home and try to implement in your life. Begins with honor everyone. So who are you supposed to honor? Everyone. And when I think about that word honor, that to me puts in, it goes back to respect. And I just feel like that is so much what's missing in our world today. People don't respect anything. There's no respect. Nobody's showing anyone respect. And we are people, all of us are created in the image of God. You who are saved and people who aren't saved, created in the image of God, and God loves them. God cares about them. God wants good things for them. And God wants to make himself known to them through you. Through you. So we honor them not because of what they can do for us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And you might ask, well, what about mean people? Yeah, we, we honor them. What about people who are wrong? We, we honor them. What about people who are offensive and, and unkind and instigators? Yeah, we honor them. doesn't mean you got to agree with them. You know, you, 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 think about it, you know, in marriage, you don't always agree with your spouse, but you always have to respect your spouse. You always have to honor your spouse. Same in, in, in life. We, we don't agree with one another, but can we not respect one another and honor one another? There needs to be mutual respect. Our goal as Christians is not to win the argument. It's to win the soul. And too many people are going after the argument. We're, we're missing the big picture. You go back to the, the, the Jews looking at Jesus, the Messiah, who was supposed to conquer the Roman Empire. No, they missed the big picture. They're not seeing through God's eyes what, what's supposed to happen here. So honor everyone. Let's, let's, let's start there. I would ask you this week to be more intentional about honoring people respecting people. Every, every people, okay? That didn't sound right. Every person, honor them because they're created in the image of God. Secondly, love the brotherhood of believers, which takes it up a notch. You know, when it comes to the family of God, Christians, those who have given their life to Christ, um, there, there needs to be a special place for them. And it says in Galatians chapter 6, therefore we, we have the opportunity, as we have the opportunity to let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because they're in the trenches with you. They're going through the same thing you're going through. They're under the same orders that you're under. They get it. They, they understand. So, so you know, I know I need to be submitting to the government. If I was doing this all by myself, that would be hard. But I know that you are supposed to be submitting to the government. And you're as cranky about it as I am. So it helps me to see, okay, you're trying. I need to try a little harder. We feed off each other that way. Love the brotherhood of believers. We're in this together. We're in this together. 
And fear God, sorry about that, just, man, it's just my life right now. Um, fear God, have nothing to say about that. That's just, boom, it's there. Um, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Uh, God should have our reverence in all things. We do this because of our love for God, our fear, for, uh, fear of God. And, and fourth, honor the king. Honor the king, and the, which means the governing authority. We don't have a king here in America, but that, you replace that with the president. Honor the governing authority. Um, what I want you to see as I give you this list here is it's the same word for the fourth command as it was for the first command. Honor the king. Honor everyone. Same word. Respect. It's about respect. And, and now I really want to ask you a very practical question here. Where is that line between disagreeing with the government and disrespecting the government? Where is that line between disagreeing with, with the president and disrespecting the president? And, and I just want to challenge you here. I, I feel like I'm seeing in the Christian world we're crossing that line. Uh, I would tell you, I, I, it's fair game to disagree. I, I think there's a place to speak up. We need to speak up. But where we're crossing that line is when we're being disrespectful. That's not right. But uh, point out, it's the same word, honor the king as you honor everyone else. Every person is a sinner. Every system is affected by human sin. No one is perfect. No system is perfect, which means, means we, we all need to be humble. We all need to constantly repent. We all need to be constantly seeking what is God's will. In my note here, uh, our, our perfect God works through imperfect people. Our, our perfect God works through imperfect authority. That's how God has chosen to work. But we are to honor the king, not revere the king, not fear the king. It doesn't say fear the king. It doesn't say, doesn't say revere the king. Uh, emperors thought they were gods back in the day. And, and I, I see some politicians in our world today who I, I think they think they're gods too. And they're not. They're not gods. So we don't worship them. But we do honor them. We honor them, we submit to them, because this is God's will. This is what God has called us to do. And then a, a few more notes. As, as you think about honoring the, the, the king, honoring the president, remember you're doing this because you're a servant of God. This is, this is why we do this. And I think if that gets lost, then, then it all falls apart. I'm doing this because I've been called to be a servant of God. The Bible tells us to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What is God's? Everything. Everything is God's. So what is Caesar's? Only the things that God has told us to give Caesar's. And that would be taxes, and that would be honor. That's what God has told us to give him, give and, 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 and submit to him as the authority. Um, but we do this because that's what God has asked us to do. We belong to God. We serve God. It is for God's sake that we honor others. It is for God's sake that we give anything to Caesar. It is for God's sake that we honor the emperor. And if you're doing it for the Lord's sake, then this shouldn't be a burden. This should actually be an act of worship. This is how I, I, I worship my Lord, by being obedient to him in this, in this way. Another thought I have here, never disobey God's commands. As you're, as you're submitting to authority, um, because I think, once again, it, like, 
there's God and then there's the government authority. And, and, and as if they're equal, and sometimes in our world they're not even equal. No, God is always here. Government authority is always down here. If, if, if the governing authority asks you to do something contrary to the will of God, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. If they tell you, you you can't preach the gospel anymore, sorry, I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what Peter said. Peter uh, practiced uh, civil disobedience when he was commanded not to preach anymore. He says, I must obey God rather than man. If they tell you you can't pray in schools or in homes or at work or anywhere else, Daniel said, no, I'm going to keep on praying. Don't really care what the government says on that one. Um, They tell you you can't worship. No, we're going to keep on worshiping. We, we honor God, what God says about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, regardless of what the government says. So there are times for civil disobedience. We submit to authority unless it forbids us from doing God's commands or it commands us to do something that God forbids. God is a God of law and order. And I wrote this down. You know, when I think about civil disobedience, and when I think about our flesh, and I think we, um, I think there's a lot of times where we're done with the government, don't want any more government, and 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 there's all, there's kind of this uh, attitude pushing anarchy. I would tell you, bad government is better better than anarchy any day. So don't buy the lie. That is, anarchy is nothing. That's that's from Satan. That's from Satan. And, and civil disobedience is actually appealing to God's law. Civil disobedience, when done right, actually honors and appeals to the law. One more thing I want to give you here. Always speak up for the oppressed. Once again, I would, I would have you notice, honor the king is only one of four commands there. Honor the king, but it also says to honor everyone. Well, what do you do when the king is doing things against everyone else? Uh, we can't submit to one at the expense of the other. If, 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 if people are suffering because of the king, once again, because we live in America, we have the privilege, we have the right, we have the responsibility, we have to speak up. No, that's not of God. That is not of God. So, I, well, I will tell you here, honoring the emperor and honoring everyone else must be balanced because the, the king is worthy of honor. And everyone else is worthy of honor. Let me, let me, let me close with a story here. Um, this is about the Navy SEALs. This uh, writer here, Eric uh, Grecians. He, he talks about the Navy SEAL training. He says, the rigors the SEALs go through begin on the day they walk into basic underwater demolition SEAL training. It's called BUDS. Um, Universally recognized as the, the hardest military training in the world. BUDS last a grueling six months. The, the classes include large contingents of high school and college track and football stars, national champion swimmers, uh, and, and top-ranked wrestlers and boxers, but only 10 to 20% of them ever make it. And they, he asks, what, what kind of man makes it through this kind of training? He says, it's hard to say, but I do know this. Generally, who won't make it? He says, there, there's a dozen types that, that fail. The weight-lifting meatheads who think they, they're that the size of their biceps is an indication of their strength. He says, the printing leaders who don't want to get dirty, and the look-at-me former athletes who have always been uh, the stars of their high school. He says, in short, those, those who fail are the ones who focus on the show. And then he says, some men who seem impossibly weak 
at the beginning of SEAL training, men who puke on runs and had trouble with pull-ups, they made it. Some men who were skinny and short and, and whose teeth shattered just looking at the ocean, they made it. And some men who were visibly afraid, sometimes to the point of shaking, they made it too. Almost all the men who survived possessed one common quality. That's what I want you to see here. Even in great pain, faced with the test of their lives, they had the ability to step outside of their own pains, put aside their own fear, and ask, how can I help the guy next to me? They had more than the the fist of courage and physical strength. They also had a heart large enough to think about others and to dedicate themselves to a higher purpose. That's what I want to see here. We're going through, this is SEAL training. We go through hard times. There's been some big tests that we've had to go through. And a lot of people drop out. A lot of people aren't making it. How do we make it? And I'm thinking the answer, he might be onto something. Our answer is by caring about the people around us who don't know God. For living for a higher purpose, we live for the glory of God. Anything else, you're not going to make it. But if, if we focused on that, we focused on the people around us who don't have hope, and we focused on God's glory, that will give us the strength to do God's way, to submit when it's hard to submit, to trust God. He knows what he's doing. Do we trust him?